There was no specific set of guidelines. Instead, I wondered if perhaps we could, and then gradually ended up getting involved in this. It was great fun, and today it's very fortunate that I undertook this process. My name is Marc Rutlisberger. We used to have historical models that appeared from time to time, with customers telling us, I have an old watch, and I wonder what it's worth now. And we would offer to buy it back. Various antique watch merchants started popping up in La Chaux de Fonds collecting a few vintage models and presenting them to us while pointing out one or another that would be interesting. Over a period of about a decade, we started to acquire a number of period watches of this kind and every time there was an opportunity, we tried to get our hands on them. Not that we had much money available, and there were often lots of items that would have been interesting, but that we didn't have the means to acquire, and that we merely observed from afar as they were sold to others. I felt this was a worthy cause worth defending, although I had no idea what we would actually do with the models thus acquired. I was convinced that they were part of the heritage and history of the manufacture, and I also came across archives from board of director sessions between 1900 and 1920, brimming with all kinds of fascinating stories. So I felt it would be worthwhile backing up these documents with products from that era. And there was real potential in the history of Zenith, which is absolutely magnificent. The launch of the El Primero movement was a phenomenally avant-garde move that raised plenty of questions ahead of its presentation to the general public. Would it be sturdy enough? Loyal to the never-ending story of the Maison Zenith, the watchmaker was clearly seeking to resist the court's wave by offering an ever more impressive and efficient mechanical movement. The wager paid off for Zenith with truly dazzling success. You're listening to El Primero Stories, the movement podcast. It all began in 1969, when the announcement of Zenith's presentation of its El Primero chronograph took everyone by surprise. The announcement was made in January, whereas the Basel Fair was not until April. No one had yet seen a high-frequency chronograph movement in a wristwatch with integrated automatic winding. This world premiere, hailed by the press, generated a lot of buzz in the watch industry. On the one hand, those who saluted this innovative achievement saw it as a way to resist the oncoming court's wave. On the other hand, certain skeptics were doubtful about the robustness of the movement, claiming it would wear out faster than conventional calibers, and that the public would not be interested. Some professionals also nurtured doubts about the winding mode and the choice of high frequency, convinced that after-sales service would be too complicated for a watchmaker. There was no shortage of negative insinuations regarding a chronograph not yet even seen by most of those commenting on it. 
Zenith maintained a low-key attitude by avoiding commenting on such criticism. No response was given. On the other hand, Zenith's huge lead in the field of chronographs was clearly apparent among retailers. The latter were very quickly convinced, especially since the first deliveries announced in Basel for October and November 1969 were brought forward to the beginning of the summer. Not only had Zenith achieved a feat, but the manufacturer was also able to start production two months ahead of schedule. All the more impressive in that insiders today remember that in November 1968, the first prototypes were still experiencing certain teething problems. Despite, or because of, this obvious success, the competition was all the more active in criticizing this world premiere, given that no equivalent watch could be put forward. There were, in fact, no solid arguments against Zenith's accomplishment, at a time when the vast majority of other manufacturers did not wish or know how to ensure the smooth operation of high-frequency movements. The Zenith engineers who had developed the movement were quietly confident. The manufacturer had taken every precaution to ensure the perfect reliability of what would become its flagship caliber. However, a strong message was required to put an end to the rumors of fragility that some were deliberately nurturing. The manufacturer was considering the best way to cut short malicious comments after the extremely swift rollout of the first watches. Orders were pouring in at the frenzied pace of 2,000 per month, while classic chronographs were experiencing a slump in sales. How could one prove the exceptional robustness of the movement in a factual way? The watchmaker's response was not long in coming, and it was a sheer stroke of genius. In 1970, the Zenith agent in charge of Benelux launched the incredible idea of giving a powerful demonstration of the reliability of watches equipped with the El Primero movement. With the support of a Belgian newspaper and Air France, a watch was attached to the landing gear of a Boeing 707 on a Paris-New York flight. The journalist who wrote the article about this experience explained that the watch was in a particularly hostile environment for more than seven hours at a temperature which dropped from 4 degrees Celsius to minus 62 degrees Celsius in 26 minutes at an altitude of 10,700 meters. The watch, which was checked at the start and the finish, showed no sign of weakness, thereby eloquently attesting to the reliability of the chronograph. The press reported this unusual performance, a performance that would probably be inconceivable today due to the safety standards that govern flights and the many regulatory obstacles that would have to be removed to obtain authorizations. The operation sounded the death knell for criticism. No one would have dared put a classic chronograph to such a test, and it must be admitted that such treatment was indeed out of the ordinary. Not only did it counter any doubts about the robustness of the movement, but it also enabled favorable comparisons with the alleged advantages of quartz. The latter technology was based on a battery vulnerable to cold, and that was unable, at the time, to function at temperatures below minus 62 degrees Celsius. The result was all the more profitable for Zenith in that it was taken up by the press free of charge outside of any commercial communications campaign. While the manufacturer would later return to the theme of extreme challenges accomplished with an El Primero chronograph, the almost improvised challenge of 1970 appeared to be a totally crazy bet, but one reflecting a time of experimentation and discovery. 
and providing plenty of scope for the boundless imagination of all those who contributed to El Primero's worldwide success. Thank you very much to all of you for listening to this El Primero Movement Story, a podcast which has been dedicated to movement excellence. My name is Julien Tornard, and I'm the CEO of Zenit. Like you, we are all sharing passion about watches, passion about watchmaking, and I think all these stories that you've been listening to are basically great examples of sharing this fantastic passion. We have been celebrating this year the 50th anniversary of one of the most, if not the most important movement in the watch industry, called the El Primero, a legendary movement created in 1969. All over the year, we've been around the world to celebrate this movement with different friends and aficionados of our brand and sharing this passion. So I'm very happy that you could hear all these interesting stories about the brand, including Charles Vermeer's story, which is a man I want to celebrate, especially this year for this anniversary. I'm also looking forward to being with you in the next episode and to share more adventures about watchmaking and about El Primero. Thank you.